Good evening, movie and music lovers of the world, to another rock and rollin' recording of A24 on the Rocks. I am your host, Kevin K. Konkonacek, and on this episode, we review the 2016 rock documentary, Oasis Supersonic. From the Academy Award-winning producers of another A24 music documentary, Amy, comes a story of the meteoric rise of one of Britain's most influential and beloved rock bands, Oasis. This documentary features extensive archival footage, behind-the-scenes clips and interviews with the band members, including brothers Liam and Noel Gallagher, as well as their family, friends, and collaborators. Through these personal accounts and candid moments, Oasis Supersonic offers an insider's perspective on the band's formation, their breakthrough success, and the tumultuous dynamics that ultimately led to their disbandment. But before someone randomly pulls an acoustic guitar out and starts playing Wonderwall, I need to introduce the rest of my bandmates in this ragtag group we call a podcast and ask them what fine beverages they have brought along for this musical occasion. Uh, First we have... Hi, I'm Eric Kiska. I'm drinking a Modelo today. Up next we have Kelly. Hey, it's Kelly. I'm not turning back in anger. And I'm drinking a Modelo as well. After me comes... (laughs) Hi, my name is Cole William Whitlaw Gibson. Uh, I am here for the cigarettes and alcohol, but uh, I'm all out of cigarettes, so I got the Wild Leap uh, Craft IPA tonight. All right, and uh, like always, I have a bottle of bourbon in my hand. It's uh, it's the Michter's Small Batch, but this time I put a splash of lemonade in there because I'm feeling fancy. got our alcohol we got the rock and roll we're just missing the sex but hey you know all of those things come into this movie and we're here for it so uh, oasis supersonic serves as an intimate window into the captivating world of oasis delving into the raw emotions raucous energy and rebellious spirit that propelled the band to stratospheric fame in the 1990s With unprecedented access, never-before-seen footage, interviews, and candid moments, this film peels back the layers, shedding light on the essence of the band that defined an era. So, operating off of that summary, and assuming that you all came into this film blind, or deaf in this circumstance, I need you to tell me what your opinion of Oasis was prior to watching this, and if you considered yourself a fan. So, Kelly, you go first. What uh, what was your your general appeal or uh, opinion of Oasis before watching this movie? Yeah, I'll roll both questions into one. The only thing I knew about Oasis is that I was not a fan. I only really know Wonderwall and like maybe two other songs, and they all do not stand out to me as like anything that ever wanted me to explore their dis- discography further. So, I don't know anything about these guys until we turned on this movie. All right, fantastic. Um, Cole, why don't you split up the Kiskas? What uh, was your experience with Oasis prior to this? Yeah, so I was a pretty big Oasis fan in high school. Um, so I was, uh, I definitely liked a lot of their, their songs. I would not say I'm like like a real fan because I could not tell you most of their songs, but I definitely listened to a lot of them. And, uh, you know, there's Wonderwall, Supersonic, Cigarettes and Alcohol, that kind of stuff. But never dove too deep into their uh, 
you know, plethora of songs, but I enjoyed them. I thought they were good, and I had no idea they made a movie about them, and I was interested to see what they could possibly tell us. All right, Eric, you're next. What did you think about the good old Oasis? I definitely knew of them. Uh, Wonderwall, Champagne, Supernova, Don't Look Back in Anger, I have heard probably a million times, but I have definitely not heard much more of their discography, and I knew that they were... hyped as the second coming of the Beatles in the 90s. What I always thought was the Beatles were so good because they adapted with the times and changed their music and changed their sound throughout the 60s. And I knew Oasis, they just kind of had a few hits and they never fucking actually changed with the times or anything. That would be Radiohead, the much better British band (laughs) and also one of my top five favorite bands. And if I had any suggestion to anybody listening to this. Don't listen to Oasis. Listen to all of Radiohead because they're fucking awesome. And (laughs) and at the turn of the century, they came out with Kid A and they revolutionized rock and roll music by, uh, you know, like throwing electronic uh, into their rock, electronic drums, too. And they're just the better band. So that's my thought of Oasis. Uh, just so, go listen to Radiohead. So Radiohead's Man, just a five bunch minutes of in, and this nerds is a podcast now about Radiohead. <laughs> Sorry, movie lovers. Someone go we tell talk, I will talk much more about yeah, Oasis. You, but, uh, a... you know, my initial thoughts of Oasis is like the people that come out of the '90s British rock scene that actually were great were Radiohead. If you guys had a shot Fucking for every time nerds. Eric mentioned Radiohead while we watched this movie. You would be on the floor. Uh, well, he's already had dead. it half a dozen yeah. times in the last yeah. minute by himself, so I think I get a very good idea. So for my part, I have always been an avowed hater of Oasis. Always been the person that Wonderwall comes in, I just start bitching and moaning as loud as possible for anybody to hear me. Um, something about Liam Gallagher's voice is just nails on a chalkboard for me. And I just always said that my least favorite song of all time was Wonderwall. And I know that's crazy to think about in the large scheme of things because of how popular that song is in general. But that was was me. And I will say that coming out of this movie, I do have a different respect for Oasis. And we'll get to that, um, obviously, at the end. But for me, yeah, I was not a fan. Uh, I did like Champagne Supernova, though. That song is absolutely one of my favorites. So weirdly, how I can hate Wonderwall and love that. But I digress. You're a hypocrite. Um, it's cool. Yeah, I know. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> so this film was directed by Matt Whitcross, Asif Kapadia, and James Gay Reese. Um, they were already awarded an Oscar for the film Amy. Uh, they worked on this film respectively as executive producer and film producer. And this film was released on October 26th of 2016 and was distributed both in the UK and in the US. We reviewed Amy in this group. And I will ask, in what ways did this film remind you of some of the cinematic stylings used in Amy, and in which ways did it differ? Cole, you up first. I mean, you could definitely tell that there was a lot of similarities in the way that they structured it, but I will say that the way that they like portrayed Amy, I felt like there was... I mean, there was obviously storytelling in both, but I felt like Amy had a, a little bit more of like a story to tell that maybe not everyone knew about, while Oasis was more of just kind of going through their history of like how they formed and became a band overall i thought you know just the the general i guess vibes of them seemed very similar but definitely two very different ways of how they portray you know uh, you know amy winehouse is a kind of a tragic story and then oasis is just like a bunch of hooligans who do meth and go play rock music so <laughs> Eric, if you put these two movies next to each other and you um, didn't tell anybody they were produced by the same group, um, do you think that they'd be able to tell? 
Yeah, definitely. And I guess, okay, this was just directed by Matt Whitecross, and Asif Kapadia and James Garis were the producers, so only one director. But yeah, like, they used mostly archival footage, photos. They did not show faces of any of the interviewees, and that's all very similar to Amy. And yeah, it's about music, too, or about a, a famed uh, musician slash musicians. And yeah, they definitely have like almost a chaotic feel to it. And in Amy, it definitely it worked really well because her life was very chaotic and all the paparazzi footage and everything that plays right into what everybody was seeing at that time. Uh, and this I, I actually I'm going to say I wish that they actually showed the faces of the people they interviewed. I think it actually would have been a little more emotionally touching. And I, I don't mind the photos and archival footage, just not the overuse of them in this film. Kelly, same question to you. Um, in comparison to Amy, and just kind of the way that they approached it um, with having the you know the voiceless or the faceless voices um, and the the lack of a general overarching narrator. Yeah, I'll kind of just echo what everyone else is saying. You can tell it's the same kind of directorial style with the found footage, and in my opinion as well, I feel like you need to already have a pretty you need to have some idea of what the documentary is already about before you hop in because they don't really spoon feed you really anything and they both lack what in my opinion is like a deterrent is just like a one narrator to kind of carry you in from beginning to end with all of just the interviews like stitched together it's a little more of a chaotic kind of feel which works I think for musicians so I feel mixed on it I feel like I needed my hand held a little bit more and I also think that the graphics in both of these movies, as far as like the kind of like, I don't know if this is a term for in movies, but like flat lay, where they kind of have all of these documents like laid out on a table and the camera carries you from one to the other and then they throw some motion graphics on top. I can tell that that got more sophisticated for this movie that we just watched. And I thought that that was a real strength in this movie. Whereas in Amy, they did that a little bit, but it just feels like they really stepped that up. Excellent observation. Cole, did you have something you wanted to throw in there? Yeah, I just kind of wanted to go off of what Eric said with the, like, faceless narrator. Um, the amount of times I was watching this movie, the person was talking in, like, a new picture or, like, they would kind of, like, you know, cut to a new thing and a picture would pop up and a name and that person was talking. The amount of times I was like, is that the person talking or is it supposed to be the person in the picture yeah. or is the person in the picture also the person talking because I am trying to figure this out also did not know how many people were a part of Oasis and it, there was a lot of names thrown around and a lot of people talking and I was like man I so for our listeners <laughs> Supersonic attempts to tell the story of Oasis through these personal narrations of the members of the band and Liam and his older brother Noel are the two main protagonists I suppose as you can imagine for the band um, the members are totally off screen, um, and they describe all of these situations, and they stick with this entire format for the entire two-hour duration. Did you guys find any other flaws? Cole, I was about to say that was exactly the thing that I had a problem with, is tracking who was speaking because they sounded so similar, mm-hmm. and then they only used the little white subtitle in the bottom <laughs> left to say mm-hmm. either Liam or Noel or whoever it was, and that absolutely messed with me tracking what was happening. Did anybody else uh, agree in that, that there was some flaws in kind of the way they delivered that? Yeah, I was going to say it didn't help that <laughs> that we're Americans and they're uh, British. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah, like they have that very grimy British voice that it's like Audrey Hepburn in My Fair Lady before uh, she gets taught proper uh, English. 
and it's hard to differentiate between all of them when I'm listening to it, especially when they're showing a picture of Noel and Liam is talking, and then they're showing a picture of Liam and Noel is talking, and then you start to question, like, wait, is that Liam in the picture or Noel in the picture? Because they also look very similar, Mm -hmm. but, like, I guess it was to differentiate who was talking, and so it definitely confused me at times. Absolutely. Cool. And, like, there would be times where I'm, like, towards the end, I swear they're like, they would just like, someone would be talking and it'd be like, Nolan. And then, uh, I don't know, towards like, I think like in the last like 30 minutes of it, at one point they just say like the voice of, and then they say the person's name. And I'm like, okay, so does that mean like the first half of this film when you just had a name that was the person in the picture and not, I don't know. It was just like very confusing all around. And then the, they were inconsistent with how they labeled it. Drove me crazy. I found myself. On top of all of that. Go ahead, Kelly, please. I found myself, it reminded me of De Palma as well, where I went into De Palma and I really don't know any of the movies that were going to be discussed and found myself like, I'm kind of lost on like what is going on here. Same with Oasis. I didn't know a single band member. I'll admit this. I didn't even know they were British. So (laughs) that's how far lost that I was. And this movie did not like really help me sort that out. However, if I was a big fan of them or like, like I said in our De Palma review, if you're a fan, this is like made for you. This is like exactly what you need. You don't need to be like given to it at like the ground floor. You're already uh, have a graduate degree. And to give uh, some music, sorry, to give some musical background for Kelly, uh, she's, into Scandinavian metal and Lady Gaga, so uh, that is how different uh, and follow her musical point. style oh. and follow point. Emo. What about we're but her mus- musicals? <laughs> her musical stylings are quite different than uh, mid '90s Britpop. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Eric, you kind of made a, a bit of a reference to it earlier when you said that these guys were kind of considered the second coming of the Beatles at one point. I feel like this movie absolutely, like Kelly said, is tailor-made for superfans of Oasis. And we know they exist. The movie documents their absolute ridiculous rise in two and a half to three years to being able to sell 250,000 tickets out to an event. But I wonder if our gaze as Americans, especially those all of us except for Cole, that really don't particularly care for the band, (laughs) makes watching a two-hour documentary, and I keep saying two hours because length is definitely something that plays into it, a totally different experience for us versus someone who who really is into this band. Um, so I think that's a, a really good point when we talk about that. So we got um, kind of mentioned a little bit on some of the f- film tactics that were used in this one, but it also uses a whole lot of old school, old home videos that were taken during the tours and during the early 90s. I thought that this little glimpse behind the scenes of what their lives actually were like as they were rehearsing or traveling or doing these things and having footage that must have just been sitting around in a warehouse somewhere was actually really cool and an interesting way of kind of bringing us right into the lives of these particular individuals. Anybody want to comment on on that? Yeah, it felt like we were watching like intimate, not intimate necessarily, but it felt like we were watching Snapchat videos as if they were taken (laughs) back then when the band was formed. And I thought it was really amazing that they had this much footage to use and there were times where they were able to stitch these things together so well that it almost seemed like they were able to like recreate events that happened in the past and they were framed well a lot of the time it was really impressive that they just had all of that footage to use i thought that 
for me, a lot of the footage brought forth um, a lot of the dynamic between all of the band. And I'm going to get to it when we specifically talk about the dynamic between the two brothers specifically. But it allowed us to kind of see an unfiltered vision of, of kind of what it would have been like to be a fly on the wall in that particular place. And I think that is just a, a really cool piece of it. Cole? Yeah, I just want to piggyback off of Kelly's and like uh, comment. Whoever was like their video, like archivist or historian, just like absolutely nailed it. Cause like the amount of footage they found and had was like pretty remarkable. Um, especially, you know, even for like the 90s. I mean, hell, I'm a 90s kid and I don't think that there's a single video of me anywhere. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Like, you know, it's very impressive, very cool, and they definitely stitched it stitched it well, and they utilized it very well. So props to them on that for sure. You know, speaking of being a 90s kid, right, this film relies heavily on the power of nostalgia. It takes the viewer back to a specific time and a place, maybe when they first heard a song or saw a specific show. So how does this documentary capture the nostalgia of the 1990s? And why is it important for the audiences to revisit this era, specifically through the lens of Oasis? Eric? I mean, I would say it definitely reveals the nostalgia of the Britpop movement in the 1990s. And the archival footage, yeah, I feel like the quality of it is very 1990s. So, yeah, it does give me some some 90s nostalgia. Uh, although, I, I don't know, it, it's very, you know, obviously just focused on Oasis. So it's like uh, I didn't feel it created a very big environment for like what was going on in the 90s or anything at the same time. And yeah, that that is when you use archival footage, though, and like a lot of this, uh, the old photos and paparazzi footage, you are like kind of forcing yourself to live uh, through the lens of the band, too. And that's it was an interesting way to do it. Like we saw that with Amy, too. But again, yeah, like I I don't feel like uh, the 90s nostalgia really hit for me throughout the whole movie. And that's fair. And I think that's probably a bit of what we had talked about right before this, with it just not being a film that was maybe tailored towards us or something as, yeah. as fans. Because I certainly don't believe the four of us would be watching this any, under any other circumstance. So mm-hmm. it certainly makes it harder to pull things like nostalgia out when, mm-hmm. right, we don't have those memories. And the only real nostalgic thing that I can think of is hearing Wonderwall and getting angry about it. But, <laughs> I, you know, I... I uh, I guess I digress a little bit. Did anybody else get any vibes in what they were trying to set forward with that nostalgia vibe or just kind of trying to set up what maybe the 90s felt like? Eric, you had a good point. They didn't really set up any of the environment outside of Oasis's little bubble. And I thought Mm -hmm. that was interesting. I'll touch on, like, it's not nostalgia for me because I was born when they were popular. When they were at, like, their peak, I entered the world. So thanks, Oasis. Maybe you had something to do with that. Anyways. um, (laughs) (laughs) But what I will say is it, like, the word's not nostalgia, but almost, like, I guess the word's something close to jealousy of this, like, pre-9-11 world that we had going on where it was globalized at this point, but it wasn't paranoid i guess and like uh, so like big brothery and was not like the internet that's they make a big point of that near the end of the uh documentary that i think was pretty poignant but i i guess yeah jealousy would be kind of the thing i wish that like if i had started a band i would be more inclined to do it then than i would be right now just based on the world that we reside in And I think that something that's so cool that was able to happen for them and that they leaned into was after the release of their first album, Going to Japan. And it's a global selling, like, 
they didn't have a clue. They've never been on a big plane. They didn't know that they had such a big fan base over there. And I think like that kind of stuff is amazing. That's really special. And that can only happen like at that time when they became really big. And I think they did such a great job of capturing that kind of that wonder or that, that can that, you know, Wonderment of what wonderment of what it was like to travel and to see that and just be like these guys don't speak English mm-hmm. yet here we are <laughs> like mm-hmm. the biggest thing yeah. since sliced bread so I I really did think that they did a great job of at least capturing those small moments to kind of make you I guess jealousy is an interesting word to say on it um, you're right because we weren't there to experience it and today's music scene is is nothing like that so it's it's probably something nostalgic for sure eric yeah i'll also say that um my big my i was also big into the grunge scene when i was in middle school like i listened to a lot of nirvana and pearl jam and when i think of 90s in music i think of grunge and the Britpop movement is kind of a blank spot for me i was born in 91 and so that was you know going on right like you know, when I was a little too young to really know tons of pop culture yet. Uh, and then also boy bands is also another thing that I think <laughs> of with 90s and Spice Girls. And like there's so many uh, things that I think I come to my head first before I think of the Britpop movement in the 90s. Uh, so maybe that's why I also like didn't get all this uh, 90s nostalgia that the film was trying to set forth. Do you think that hardcore Oasis fans would be offended with your distinction of Britpop versus grunge and how and a lot of Oasis fans consider them a lot more of a rock and roll instead of a pop type of band, mm-hmm. even though oh. they're top 40, you know, ignoring yeah. Wonderwall, ignoring that and the vibes of what we saw from this film, too. I feel like they would probably protest the idea that they are not at least somewhat involved in the grunge scene, at least adjacent to it. Um, especially because mm-hmm. their rise to popularity yeah. came in pretty much right after, you know, Kurt Cobain killed himself in the fall of Nirvana. Yeah. So I noted that, that to too. Consider. Yeah, that they got big right after uh, Kurt Cobain killed himself. And that was kind of the death of grunge. Like it literally just kind of spelled the death of grunge, even though Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains and Soundgarden would continue to go on making music. But like what I kind of feel is that a lot of uh, people that were super into grunge and then Kurt Cobain killed himself and grunge kind of it kind of died with him. I think they there's definitely uh, a lot of people that just turn their focus over to Britpop and okay, yeah, maybe I can call it alt rock a little bit, but yeah, besides Wonderwall though, I feel like their music's very poppy. I like Champagne Supernova, Don't Look Back in Anger, and then even the first songs that I heard them kind of getting big off of, it felt like all the riffs and like the stylings of the songs were kind of formulaic and poppy. As Opposed to, like, uh, again, I'm going to mention Radiohead. Like, uh, <laughs> there it is they, again. Take a shot. Yeah, shot. They, ex- a shot. they experimented so much more in with OK Computer, and they they changed, you know, like, their sound with each album because, you know, Radiohead started out with Creep and then uh, <laughs> Fake Plastic Trees, and then they went over to, like, this kind of more experimental alt rock. And uh, I think Oasis stayed kind of in the pop bubble, in my opinion. All right, Cole, hit me with it. Yeah, so as the apparently the only resident Oasis <laughs> fan, um, <laughs> I will say that I do not think of them as grunge at all. And like one no, thing that I, I thought was quite humorous to me throughout this film 
is like I had listened to a lot of uh, Oasis songs, and then like listening to those guys talk and about, talk about how they like they didn't give a shit about what anyone thought about them. They're hard as fuck, and they're gonna fight you, and they're gonna punch you in the mouth, and then they go sing Wonderwall, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> there's a there's like a, a, a I feel like a little bit of a, a gap here that we're trying to jump. Um, so I, I I found it quite humorous, just like the way that they acted and portrayed versus their songs, because I would never have considered them grunge and i like i do like radiohead and nirvana and like alice in chains and all that stuff uh, but i would not consider them in like the same the same group yeah. so i find that kind of interesting that they would kind of lump them all together and then just their general vibe was much different than when when yeah. they start singing and compared to before i could also say there must have i think there was some british invasion nostalgia too uh for a lot of like you know, the old people that were probably born in the 60s and they remember a time when Beatles, Rolling Stones, uh, m- maybe in their childhood, they were coming out. You know, they were everything British pop or British exported pop culture more than anybody in the world. The British people did. And like you have yeah, Rolling Stones, the, the Who, like the Kings, the Beatles. And I think like a lot of these fans kind of reminisce back to that time. And then they're like, it's happening again. I, I don't know. They It didn't last that long, though. And maybe not only just the fans, um, but maybe the actual members of the band, too. I feel yeah. like we're just really hoping to to be the Beatles. Like, they were mm-hmm. big Beatles fanboys as a band already. Yeah. And, like, to have that influence and to be, like, like you said, that attitude of, of you know, fuck the world, we're going to do it on our own. I think they wanted to be the Who. I think they wanted to be the Rolling Stones. I think they wanted to be all of these things, but then they forgot about being themselves along the way. Yeah, I think it was extremely eye-opening for me because we're talking about bands that maybe like have share any association with them. And I just want to talk about my demented point of view of what I thought Oasis was associated with. Um, So if I was listening on the radio, I would expect Oasis to be in a block with like 311 and Sugar Ray (laughs) and Smash Mouth. And I feel oh like those four bands really for me, piss off Oasis I know, fans. I'm so sorry, Oasis fans. I, but on the contrary, what this <laughs> documentary showed me was how wrong I was that these guys actually have this really kind of punk rock attitude. And I, I had no idea. I didn't have the slightest clue. And I was really impressed with how they handled some of their interviews was like so cool and rude. I mean, like Sugar Ray wasn't doing that. So I mean, they're, it, they're I basically the band from Green Room. I'm uh, pardon my British here, but Noel Gallagher himself said I'm a bit of a cunt, and uh, <laughs> I feel like they were very cunty the whole time. I don't, I don't even think they were cool. See, I, I just they, like I like giving it to like the establishment <laughs> at any time, and I think that they that was the goal, even if it was kind of cringe. It was yeah. cool. It's, it made me cringe a lot. Yeah. It certainly was the goal. The goal was certainly to just put their names in the tabloids. I mean, they even said during the film, it's like, it doesn't matter what you say on the inside as long as I'm on the cover. Yeah. And I feel like that attitude is the way that they, you know, lived their life for those three years that made them ginormous superstars. So this film doesn't do a great job of, at least in my opinion, chronologically giving the path of this band. I feel like there's a lot of jumps from stories of their first albums to kind of where they were progressing to then we get jump backs to their childhood when talking to their mom and detailing some of the domestic abuse things that happened there. And in general, uh, you don't get an overly detailed history of Oasis, more you get kind of the storyline 
of that. So what did we feel about that lack of a clear-cut timeline? Did it bother you that you couldn't necessarily know the, the time and the place, the month and the year exactly was happening? Or was it something that kind of you just embraced as the movie went on? Cole? I would say that, like, during... I, I, <laughs> I wish they would have told us more about, like, the timeline because I could not tell you if this movie took place in, like, three years or ten years because... There's key points where they talk about like how fast they rose to fame and stuff like that. And then they just kind of, they don't really, I guess, they don't go too deep into how they kind of fell off and what whatnot. But I cannot tell you how long Oasis was a band for. But from this documentary, I would have guessed like four years. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's probably much longer than that. But just from like the way that this portrayed it, it seemed like it was a very like, you know, meteoric rise to fame and then they just stopped making music or, or something happened to them. I, I could not tell you, but they obviously didn't really go into that. Or maybe I just missed it. I also no. watched this. I started watching this movie at two o'clock today and I didn't finish it till seven thirty today. So this was a very hard movie for me to watch. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack in what you just said there, but um, I think the, the long and short of it is that they really only concentrated on those three years. And then after that concert, they're like, ah, that's the most important thing we did ever, so we're only going to document it up until that point, and then literally the next nine years of essentially failed albums and every member of the band quitting except for the two brothers, they're like, eh, we're, we're not going to show that part because, you know, people... See, I didn't even know that something like that, that happened. That's more interesting. I think that, that would be pretty interesting to include that in the documentary, to be honest. Yeah, yeah but... Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Well, they broke up in 2009, and I I don't know if I would have liked 14 years after their the this movie ends. I like I kind of just realized that they were really toxic people, and uh, everybody around them wanted didn't want anything to do with them after a bit. And then they made some sh- shitty albums after their their big uh, rise to fame. And I actually wasn't that mad that it ended where it was uh, where it did because i think it was focused on the their rise to stardom and they showed like little inklings of where the band was already falling apart on that rise and what would be their their downfall organization wise uh going that year by year i was a little confused on the timeline here and there but i i do feel like i kind of got like okay this is where it starts and this is where it ends and then they have flashbacks to their childhood, which didn't throw me off that much. It actually gave me more of a picture into Nolan Liam and why they might be the way they are. I, I kind of got the timeline generally. Excellent. So um, I, you kind of mentioned there, Eric, the, the relationship that we see between the two brothers from a young age. Um, and this movie explored a lot of themes that we often see in stories of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But it also dived into this interesting dynamic of sibling rivalry between the two Gallagher brothers. So, Kelly, I want to ask you, what are some of these key dynamics and conflicts that we see between Liam and Noel that they explored and kind of what the contrasting personalities and creative visions might have, you know, contributed to the band's success or ultimate downfall? I know it's a really big question, (laughs) um, but I'm going to have you start it and we're going to just spiral from there. Yeah, I felt like um, just like the previous question, how they just kind of assume, you know, what happened to the band in the end. I feel like there were so many times in this documentary that the person being interviewed would just say and then the sibling rivalry and then you know how brothers can be and 
they would tell one brother, one brother would be saying, well, I'll set him straight with a punch on the jaw. But like the footage between them wasn't as uh, like dynamic in seeing that. It was just through what they were saying to us. And then like one brother throws a tambourine at the other. But (laughs) like, I feel like it was there, but it assumed that you knew more about what happened. And I don't know really what went on. So it was just like a lot of tell with showing but like not in a way that was enough um, for me to really get what the conflict really was the time that it actually seemed the most like rivalry is whenever um, Noel would sing his songs instead of Liam that's when I could see it that's when you have Liam in the interviews acting all pissy that's when I actually like saw it otherwise I was told more than I like actually believed it um if if that makes sense. Absolutely. Cole, go ahead. What do you want to say on that? Yeah, I just uh, wanted to say the whole entire time I was watching that when they were talking about the brother dynamic, I was thinking of like those old like shitty like ID like murder mystery shows where they're like they were the best brothers and they formed a band until they weren't <laughs> and then it does like the inverse and it shows them smiling but it's all creepy. Picture uh, of them rips in half. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for that the whole time because they, they did kind of like, you know, lead up to that dynamic and then uh but uh yeah, that's what that's what went through my mind during that. Was those also parts. like Liam would just like go to the bar and you know, go to the pub and uh, you know, get his knockered on and uh <laughs> it was that's so disrespectful to Noel the songwriter, like and the craft of like songwriting and making a a album. Like, all right, I'm gonna fuck off now and I've you know, not gonna care at all what's going on in there. Uh, yeah, I, I could see why Noel would have uh some bones to pick with him after that too. So I think if we were uh, part of this scene uh, during the time that it was coming up, apparently that these two's relationship was most documented thing in music as far as the tabloids, as far as like everyone knowing that all of Oasis's issues and all of the things that came from that band were because of these two brothers. But at the same time, it's also from credited a lot of what made the band good as far as their just drive and success and, you know, pushing each other to be successful. But it actually even culminated into a bit, I don't know if anybody's heard this or not, but Wibbling Rivalry was released by um, a, basically a a counter to Oasis in, in the 1990s, which is basically just a nine-minute interview that they did around midnight after they had been drinking where they just swear at each other for nine minutes straight. The entire interview was just, you know, Liam and Noel just yelling at each other. And it mm-hmm. turns viral at the time and becomes a really big deal and is posted all over the radio. But it kind of sets them up for essentially what causes all of the problems with Oasis. We get the story of Noel leaving on their first American tour in San or going to San Francisco and just being like, you know what? Piss off. I'm going to, you know, not be in this band. And all of the different issues... Does anybody think that they would have been a successful group without that dynamic between the two brothers? I think one of a poignant thing that was pointed out to me with the brothers. So basically the question is, no, they needed that. But when they are recording and it's like Noel wrote the songs, Liam heard the music once and then he sang it like perfectly on like the first go. And he was a much more, uh, to my ears, like a, voice that's more recognizable, more iconic. When Noel sings his own songs, it's a lot more forgettable. They needed each other in that regard, and they had that, like, 
that sibling like brain connection and they knew it too so i do think that that was a necessity for them to be able to do what they did i mean the core of their argument boils down to a simple philosophical disagreement about the value of art versus rock and roll is oasis more about the music or about the mayhem eric i think mayhem uh but also okay being right place at right time, I think they were in a place where grunge just died and people wanted to shift their attention to another scene, and this is the scene that got picked up. These two and all of their drama probably fueled the headlines and paparazzi and everything that made that scene even bigger. The mayhem made them much bigger than they ever could have been, uh, and all of the headlines, it got them circulating in the news constantly. And I, you know, what I'm going to say, too, is that uh, I think if they weren't uh, out at that time, like if this band just came out in the last five years, nobody would give a shit about them and uh, all their toxicity and their stuff that was going on with them. Uh, it would they would just be another failed rock and roll band. All right, Cole, is Oasis about the music or the mayhem? Um, I think the people in Oasis are about the mayhem, but their music is is, is not about mayhem. <laughs> like I, I think they they right. genuinely have like again that bridge where I had no idea that they were like that punk rock like hardcore like you know we're Mike Tyson we're gonna punch you in the fucking <laughs> mouth and and move on and I'm like I mean I think your guys' music is great, but I don't mm-hmm. think that your music is, you know, punching me in the mouth in terms of like punk rock and stuff. So um, I think they have a very conflicting kind of vibe. And I also think that led to possibly some of the issues with a lot of the band members and stuff. Cause they're singing these songs that are like very good, very like flowy kind of uh, like pop, like Eric was saying. And then in the back, you know, behind the scenes, they're just being assholes to each other. It's like, that's yep. probably a bit tiring. Like, let's sing, let's sing, like, you know, Wonderwall or Champagne Supernova. And then I'm going to fucking tell you you're a piece of shit and I'm going to hit you with your cricket bat later. Yeah. But, uh, Think about how, like, toxic that would be to be around. Okay. After their drummer quit, they were just like, oh, drummers are just apes banging on stuff. We, we should just replace them all with drum machines. Okay, if I'm a drummer, I'm not going to like fucking go into this band where I'm not respected at all. And obviously, since all the original members quit and, you know, they didn't have like normal members after all of them quitting, obviously they were too toxic to be around for anybody to stay in the band for too long. And so that's. Yeah, and even yeah. so toxic now that the brothers are yeah. estranged and don't even mm-hmm. speak to each other. And yeah. Like it's. Their toxicity went to the ultimate part where it just separated everything like you can even mm-hmm. hear it in their mom's voice how she mentioned so many times and how it all went south or all mm-hmm. went bad before it all went down and how just heartbreaking that has to be for yeah. her like she was so proud of those two and then they just let eventually their problems come to the point where they could never reconcile their arrogance that came bonkers. through against each other mm-hmm. against musicians against all this kind of stuff was so over the top for how mediocre the music was. Yep. Yeah, I would agree. And then Noel's... Bring, uh, go ahead. No, I was going to... Go ahead. Noel sure. said, uh, our music will stand the test of time. Well, it did it, Noel. <laughs> One song did. <laughs> I, I, won't, I will not take it. Wonderwall will absolutely stand the test. Hey, it's not a great song, but it's going to stand the test of time. It just doesn't exist. So that does like bring Nickelback me... back now. Yeah. Oh, God. Hey. Hey, that does bring the me Canadian to the general treasure out of this, okay? <laughs> yeah, Nickelback got a bad rap, all right? I'll, we'll save that for another yeah, and people probably say the same thing about Oasis. 
No, you guys no, are pricks. We, we are we're actively saying why they got a bad rap. Watch this documentary. Yeah. Then you can tell if they have a bad rap or not. I guess more the music. Like, Wonderwall is a meme now. So, uh, yeah. I started I started this episode out and, with a meme. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. pull yeah. out the acoustic guitar. Like, yeah. Anyway, so I want to talk about a little bit Radio of what stupid. the criticism is with this film. And we've already touched on it pretty much directly or indirectly. But while receiving generally positive review from critics and viewers, there have been some detractors who call this a fluff piece, with the filmmakers doing their best to paint Oasis in a light that would favor the band by ignoring much of the criticism of Oasis, including what we talked about, the almost 10-plus years that passed at the end of the film from 1996 to their eventual breakup in 2009. So why do you think, or what do you think, of the director's choice to only concentrate on this? I know we kind of touched on it, but I feel like there's a lot here with the idea of making a piece to favor the artist without giving the complete picture. Does anyone want to touch on that? I'll say shortly, if this is a piece that favors them, I'd hate to see any other piece. (laughs) Because this didn't paint them for me. It just painted them in like a neutral to bad light as somebody who is completely blind. Because Eric, all that Eric had told to me was just like, they're just known for being assholes. So those were the two things that I knew going into this movie. But I didn't feel like it was necessarily painting them in a good light. It just felt like an amalgamation of stories and was how I like previously described. You already needed to have graduated Oasis High School to appreciate this movie for like how it was made. Absolutely. And I think for me, it did what the band members wanted it to do, which was paint them in the idea that he could say, I am this rock star. I am this musical messiah, essentially, and Oasis is awesome. And they did say that at nauseum, yeah. um, but we didn't have to necessarily believe it. Um, and I think watching it, it's interesting this movie was made in 2016, and after it had so much time had passed to kind of process what the the wave of Oasis would have been. Um, but at the end of the day, right, it, it doesn't does not feel like a fluff piece to me either. I think they come across as exactly as we describe them as, you know, generally assholes who are hard to work with. And that's mm-hmm. the end of it. Yeah, so not not a fluff piece, I think. I yeah, I, we've been talking, you know, here for 45 minutes about how much it actually made us, you know, not really like those guys. So, yeah, that's what they wanted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hate us forever. Yeah, We're fucking punk rock. So, last question: Did this uh, film give you guys any sort of A twenty four vibes at all, or was it kind of just fall in line with more similar documentaries that you had seen in the past? Uh, well, no A twenty four vibes from me. I, I gave me Amy vibes. You know, like we were saying sure. earlier. Sure. Uh, but like documentaries, uh, the documentaries that A twenty four did. I'll have to. We have to watch more of them. But. Uh, yeah, it doesn't give me the mindfuckery, beautiful aesthetic, uh, cinematography kind of vibe. It's it's uh, a lot of found footage and a lot of you know old photos, and they had that little uh, cool animation uh, in the middle there, which I liked. Uh, I'll, I'll give props to that. I wish actually they used way more animation in this because I actually really like animation in documentaries. Uh, but yeah, no A twenty four vibe for me. Copy, Kelly. What do you think? Two spots with vibes for me, and like Eric said, that's in, I think that the animation, the graphics, the way that they worked a lot of that kind of stuff was, like, actually amazing, and my favorite parts of this whole thing that they've pieced together. The two spots, if I was gonna say, gave me any A24 vibes, was when the dad shows up to the bar 
and they're sitting on the other side of the bar, the way that they were able to use these photos, superimpose them, blur out certain areas, uh, zoom in on others and just create this like depth of field and this crazy focus, this really yellowy hue. It was that really artistic, like I've not seen that kind of work around before. And they it was emotive and they had like the music in your gut at that point. It That part really stood out. There was another spot with the flat lay where they're talking about how they trashed the hotel room in Amsterdam. And it's like, here's plane tickets, here's boat tickets, here's... And it's like one continuous shot of the camera going from place to place to place. And then they would put like film footage on top of it that looked like it came out of a projector. So these kinds of really creative elements are the spots that gave me the the quote unquote vibes. Other than that, though, it's found footage documentary. I think it takes more like technical prowess than like... No offense to PBS. I mean, you're going to teach me something that's more like, more like, um, I'm going to like walk away from that and be able to like nail an ACE test. I would fail an Oasis test still after this, but as far as like visual impact, um, much higher, higher end on that. So, Cole, what do you think? What kind of vibes were you getting from the stylistic yeah. approach? So, um, I've watched two documentaries based off of a musical bands or personalities and they're both a24 films so i think it fits in perfectly i really do i mean <laughs> i uh, <laughs> i can't say i've ever ever watched any other musician based documentaries typically i'm more of like the history kind of docs if i'm gonna watch them so uh yeah i uh it, it, if you compare it to every single other a24 film or the ones that i love i would say this does not have any uh it does have some pretty cool stuff that like Kelly said and, and like the way they spliced it all together and they did what, what they had with it and stuff like that was good but yeah it's uh, for sure 824 I mean come on <laughs> I will say I did appreciate the editing and the overall way they tied all of the live footage together um, there were certain times when they would have one song but have four or five different rooms that they were singing and it was a continual cross between all of them having whoever was singing continually do so or just you know finding different ways to creatively uh, give us Liam singing that recording of Champagne Supernova in the studio first time, just reading the lyrics off of the page. That was my favorite part of the whole film for me, mm-hmm. was just getting that back view of the first time that a song that is, you know, relatively incredibly famous is getting put to paper and he's just knocked it out of the park the first time. Being a f- fly in the wall for that was just a really cool approach. So uh, I found uh, the way they blended it all together was awesome. Have Anybody guys, have any other comments? Go ahead, Kelly, please. Yeah, have any of you guys watched um, Song Exploder on Netflix? Yes. No, yeah, I have well, not. Well, we watch it together, yeah. <laughs> not you, Eric. Cheater. <laughs> yeah. We watch no, everything no, together. Not. Song yeah. Exploder? Yeah, so that's... Um, it's really good. I'll just tell you about it for just a second, and for anyone who's listening who hasn't yet, and maybe the people who have know what I mean, they take just a single song. The one that Eric and I loved the most was uh, R.E.M., and they talk about losing my religion just how the song was made in a really artistic kind of fashion and they really like walk you through it you're in the studio another better better 90s band yeah true (laughs) (laughs) but i feel like song exploder in some ways 
I feel like this is almost like a symbiotic relationship. I saw similarities between the two. And I think that that's a really good series on Netflix. And at the end, then they just kind of play the song in full, having heard all of this backstory on how it was written. Um, here you get to listen to it with like really neat graphics and lyrics on screen and all this kind of stuff. I felt that way too when Liam sang um, Champagne Supernova and they cut everything else out and you saw it. It like felt like, okay, now I kind of understand like how we got to this point and it made it uh, mean some more. So I, I just, I saw those similarities. I didn't notice it until now, but if you guys liked this one and you want to check out some other bands, there's a good Nine Inch Nails one too. Absolutely. That sounds awesome. I had never heard of this. Um, and that immediately sounds like something that I will look up, um, you know, right away. Cause that sounds fantastic. Guys, uh, anything else we want to throw in there before we get to our, uh, final reviews on this film? No. Name all, all right, the fantastic. band members. I dare you. Uh, I can't, <laughs> I'll pull up Wikipedia. Uh, Gwigs. I, I remember Gwigs. Gwigs, uh, yeah, Gwigs, the stoner bassist who had a, a yeah. Yeah. panic attack, and they didn't or, have another bassist, what about, and they brought him what back, about, and he got stuck uh, Rhodes, with the band for the three the, years. The original roadie. Yeah, and <laughs> that wait, is funny. Was there a bonehead? Bonehead. bonehead? Yes. Yep, or the rhythm bonehead? guitarist was yeah. bonehead. The baldy bonehead. Yeah. And the, the poor drummer that had to sue the band because he got fired before they made it big. What do you mean, poor band? He looked real happy walking out of there. <laughs> he only settled for like 500 pounds and he wanted 12 billion or million or something like that. <laughs> poor guy. I'm going to still feel sorry for him. But. Anyway, if not, then we're going to go ahead and jump right into our movie reviews. And I am going to start. So for this particular one, uh, knowing that I was hosting a band that I have vehemently uh, hated against the majority of my adult life was very interesting, to say the very least. Going into it, I was fully expecting to not enjoy myself whatsoever. And to be fair, there were some moments when Liam was hitting some of the notes that I just had to turn the volume down and pull my head away because something about that man's voice is just a little grating. In fact, I preferred the versions of Wonderwall where uh, Noel were singing as opposed to Liam. Uh, maybe that's just because I hate that song so much, but I digress. Uh, the film, we've already talked about it, was pretty. Uh, did a great job of bringing back some of the nostalgic concert moments. And if you are an Oasis fan, this movie is for you. If you are a fan of Brit Rock or anything of that entire uh, genre and you want to be thrown right back into what it felt like to see those guys come up and see a personal um, retelling of their stories, then this is absolutely for you. If you're just going through A24's collection and you find yourself here, well, you know, listen to it for what it is and move on and get ready for the next one. It uh, definitely is a piece for the fans um, by the band. And we kind of had some bit of a disagreement whether or not it was a true fluff piece or not. But I think we all agree that doesn't make them look overly fantastic as human beings. And looking at it in the lens of 2023, we can even say even farther that the Gallagher brothers are toxic individuals and they probably didn't really contribute a whole lot to the large scheme of things in the musical world. They were more interested about throwing hotel mattresses out of the windows than they were about, you know, producing long living, actual fantastic film or music in this particular circumstance. I'm going to give this one a C24. It really doesn't do anything for me one way or the other, but I can't really yell at it for being too much. It was a little long but uh, it was fine. So C24 is what I got for you. Kelly, you're up next. Yeah, I think that I've touched on everything on my little piece of paper that I wanted to. 
I learned from this. That's the that's the base level. If I'm going to watch a documentary, did I learn something? Yes, I learned many, many things. Might help because I started at ground zero. But like Kevin, you just said, and I've been saying a lot, you need to have already graduated Oasis High School to really like get what I think the director's trying to give you from this movie. And the what I was the takeaway for me is my own personal bias that I just do not care about this band. But they found a way to like make me engaged in it. Even with the two hour mark, I think halfway through I was like, how much longer? But then I found myself pulled back into it again. So the fact that they were able to do that and I think that if this was about a band I really liked, I would want it to be stitched together in this kind of way, edited in this exact same kind of way. And I would love if it had the amazing animations that was in this film. I think that that was the strongest part of it, like I also said. And I think while we were talking as well, specifically on like the sibling rivalry part of the movie and them not really giving me personal closure, I thought was going to be my big deterrent is like, I have no idea like Cole said, this band feels like, were they a band for like three or four years? What happened after this? I have no idea. I'm just assumed to know. But I think the choice from the director is like, if you guys are watching this, you already have an idea and we're not going to just beat the dead horse about these brothers or what happens after this. It's just about the come up. So we're not going to beat a dead horse. But for me, I never saw the horse die is what I wrote down. So <laughs> anything that I want to take away as like a deterrent, I think is really like personal in my eyes, and like I just said, and will repeat for the sound of hearing my own voice, I suppose, if it was about Fallout Boy, for example, and people are going to be like, how How do you think Fallout Boy is better than Oasis? You gotta, you just had to be there, man. It's the same kind of situation. If it was Seriously. about them, I would have been like, this is a fantastic, like, perfect musical documentary. This is how I want it pieced together. All right. I said one thing and I stretched it out for a thousand words. Anyways, I'm actually going to give this a B plus 24. All right. Cole, you're up next. Yeah, so um, I was a fan of Oasis. I like their songs and I like their music and stuff like that. But I knew very little about the band. It was interesting to kind of see like a peek behind the curtain. Um, I don't know if I really liked what I saw behind the curtain, but it was still interesting and informative. I'm not the, the biggest, again, musician documentary, so it's not really something that I particularly enjoy. I also, if you're a avid listener of our podcast, you'll probably hear me say this about every single episode. 90 Minutes, man. That is like, I love 90 Minute Movies. And um, I do love movies that go longer, but if you go longer than 90 minutes and it is not not uh, <laughs> entertaining, I'm going to get really pissed off and annoyed. Like I said, I started this movie at 2 o'clock and I didn't finish it until 7.30 because other things kept popping up and I got distracted. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> I think I can pause this movie and you know, take care of some stuff because it is not like the most um, entertaining to me, I guess. Um, but I do appreciate what they did. And I appreciate the history and Oasis. And I think if you are like a, a truly an Oasis fan, you'll absolutely love this. Um, so for all that, I give I gave it a a C twenty four as well. Hmm. All right, Eric, bring us home. 
Well, I know it seems like I've been shitting on this film a lot because I dislike Oasis and the Gallagher so much, but I do feel like this film was generally put together well. Um, I wish I saw more of the actual interviews. Uh, I do feel like the found footage they had was great. It was just overused, you know? Uh, I also like the animation a lot, as I noted already. I wish they had more of that because I'm a big fan of animation and uh, documentaries. And I don't mind that they ended it at the height of their fame because I felt like the film was generally, it was about their rise to fame and they showed the Easter eggs there that led to their downfall. And I guess if you watch this and you didn't even know Oasis broke up, uh, you might be able to pick out those Easter eggs and be like, this band's not a band for long. But uh, either way... Uh, I do feel like this film was made for fans more as it focused very much on the band and not the 90s music environment around it, which I would have liked because I really do like 90s music. I wish they focused more on how Oasis fit into that 90s music environment overall and not just how the Gallaghers fit into Oasis. So uh, overall, I think this was a decent documentary. I learned something, which I think is the point of documentaries uh, on top of being, you know, beautiful cinematic experiences sometimes. Uh, but I was generally entertained throughout all of it. I do think it was long, like Cole was saying. So I'll leave it as at a uh, C plus 24. There are definitely better music documentaries out there, but this is far from the worst. Listen to Radiohead. <laughs> all right. Well, if you made it this far, we thank you very, very much. Go ahead and uh, like and subscribe and leave a comment if you would like to be on our lovely podcast and tell Eric why Radiohead isn't the best band from the 90s. Go ahead and uh, shoot us a message. Let us know and we'll bring you on for the next one. This has been A24 on the Rocks. Thank you very much and we will see you next time. Cheers. Bye. 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 Four.